this week on the 10A Podcast. Solving the world's problems with Dr. Jason Piccolo. And I only speak to the things that I know. And how are you and I going to be able to relate to that? I know a lot of people who don't serve anybody except themselves, which, hey, that's their own prerogative. If you're a general person in the public who gives back, you're serving a greater good. So you're a protector. And what am I going to do when I grow up? We know which way to point them. We know where to get them mental health help. Do we know how many firefighters and dispatchers are killing themselves every day? We never think about that. I want to feel like I have something that I could do. The job isn't dead. And not everybody wants it. 20 years on the job. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 319 of the 108 podcast. Today's episode is with veteran, federal agent, author, podcaster, New Jersey native, Dr. Jason Piccolo. Our episode today is called Solving the World's Problems. And and what world problems are we talking about? And how are we going to solve them? And, And why don't we focus on our own problems and let the world sort itself out? Well, the answer to those questions and much more await you as we dive into this week's episode. But first, I gotta give a shout out to our sponsors. Listen, it's no surprise to anyone that law enforcement agencies suck at getting the word out to their citizens they serve. Whether it's debriefing a critical incident or educating the public about various aspects of law enforcement, it takes a special skill set that too many in law enforcement don't have. In this ever-changing world of social media, do you, your agency, and your community a favor and check out TOC Public Relations, a company ran by former law enforcement to help you get your message out in an appropriate and professional way. Check them out on social media as well as TOCPublicRelations.com. Let me tell you something you already know. Living a life in public service is a life of sacrifice, but you cannot serve the community or back your partner up if you're not physically able to do so. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, more than 40% of law enforcement officers are obese. Other studies have found that police officers are 25% more likely to die from weight-related disorders like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even some cancers. Why continue to be a liability to your partners, your loved ones, your community, and yourself? Contact the folks at fit.responders and get your fight back. This episode is also brought to you by my new friends over at RTI Training, giving the type of training that incorporates humor and knowledge that cops respond to. Listen, we all know that you will never retain anything thanks to death by PowerPoint. So do yourself a favor and check out the new kids on the block when it comes to police training. They are revelationstraining.com. And guys, I also want to tell you about our sponsor, Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. They just came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It is the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members of the app get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and a monthly nutrition plan. They also have 24-hour, 7-day-a-week access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. So... Go to the app store of your choosing and download the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app today. It's available for Android as well as Apple, so get on it now. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Thin Vine Wines. Thin Vine Wines is a mission-driven wine company that proudly backs first responders and the military. With a background in law enforcement, their support for police, dispatch, fire, and the military is unwavering. 
Thinvine Wines donates $2 from every bottle sold to law enforcement and military-driven nonprofits. Making awesome wine is the vehicle. Making wine with a purpose is the mission. Check out their social medias at Thinvine Wines on Instagram and Facebook and order online at thinvine.wine using the code 108 T-E-N, the number eight, for $10 off two or more bottles of wine. Oh, and one last thing, guys. This week, we have a brand new sponsor that I want to tell you about, especially those of you doing the jiu-jitsu thing. We have fuzz tape. What is fuzz tape? Well, it's jiu-jitsu tape for those people that don't take themselves so seriously. It's designed by cops who train, but it's made for everybody. It is finger tape. It protects your fingers from getting injured. It comes in rolls of four and in four different sizes. Also, they have clothing. They have lifestyle products available as well, and they're also accepting sponsorships. So go check them out. They're on Instagram at fuzz tape. And if you want to buy some of their stuff, you can use the discount code 108 fuzz right t-e-n the number eight f-u-z-z t-e-n the number eight f-u-z-z and again they are on instagram they are fuzz tape check them out so jason piccolo he's a very accomplished gentleman over 30 years in public service between law enforcement and the military and he's counting down the days until he gets to hang up his jersey all in the rafters and call it a career. And as you're about to hear, is very well deserved. I feel like a lot of people they get to their 20, 25, 30 year mark, and you know you kind of look back and go, "What this guy do?" Or did he start super strong and then lay off the gas? I mean, I mean to each their own. But Jason definitely stretched it all out, and so his retirement is going to be very well deserved. The topics we cover in this episode are pretty grandiose, and that's why I called it solving the world's problems as we're trying to talk about the ills of our professions of our nation and so on and we try to make it so that way we can endure it but also have the good things live past us in our careers so when i shared promo material on instagram this week i had someone chime in and they messaged me and they said why are you worried about the world problems why don't you focus on yourself to which i face palmed tell me you don't actually look deep into my content without actually telling me you do so uh, all I've been doing over the past like five, maybe more months has been talking about personal growth. And that's all I will continue to talk about. And I'm kind of tying it in with mental health, physical health, financial health, things like that. Because the truth is, Jason and I may chat about solving the world's problems, but the real fact of the matter is, unless one of us gets an elected to a, an office of some kind, of some authority, it's never going to actually happen. We're literally just two guys talking in a room about, and everyone does, hey man, you know what needs to happen? You know what they got to do? You know what they got to do is they got to they gotta go to, whatever. That's that common barroom talk, right? That's what we're dealing with. But the true point of leadership is leading, but more importantly, the influence. So if by ourselves, the two of us, we can affect change to each other, be it a physical activity, therapy, eating right, or just talking ideas out with people, we can cause an influential ripple. And that'll go throughout, throughout, throughout. The problem is you look at people who are influential. They have these amazing platforms and this large reach and they spew nothing but nonsense on it. Do you really think, do you really think someone like Kim Kardashian really gives two fucks about the overall mental well-being of our country? Or let's, let's scale it back a little bit. Do you think that some of these big police influencers care? I'll tell you what, they may say they do. 
because it'll get you uh, to click their stuff and they might you might buy something from them or you might attend one of their their things but the truth is they perpetuate the stereotypes and the negative coping mechanisms that get us us in the first responder world into trouble and into the bad spots that people like me uh, are trying to get us out of try to to break that terrible cycle and it's very important that we we realize that. And I've kind of talked about it a little bit when I say, you know, don't buy into these wannabe gurus that just really want to be in your pocket and want to be taking your money because they really don't give a fuck. And it's fine. Not everyone is going to be pro mental health or pro whatever, but there are ones that do. There are actually some great ones, and they've been on my show recently. Actually, everybody I've had on this season has been someone within or around the law enforcement community that wants nothing more than to improve the first responder community as it is. And there are plenty of more uh, out there, and they're going to continue to be on my show, and I'm going to continue to find them and reach out and bring them here and let you listen to them. Like my guest today, Dr. Jason Piccolo, as I've already alluded to, has an amazing resume with the skills and the brain to back it up. So he's not just talking out of his ass. He's not just theorizing. He's lived it. He's done it, and he's passing it along to you. You guys are really going to dig this one. There's a lot to get out of it, so I'm not going to talk anymore. Check it out as we solve the world's problems with Jason Piccolo here on the 108 podcast. We've got him. We've got Dr. Jason Piccolo. How are you doing? I'm doing good, brother. Class of 2008. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was going to say. So I first found you on Instagram. I honestly don't know how. I was just scrolling. I think somebody shared you, so I followed you because of the law enforcement relation. And then one of the first posts that I actually saw of yours or like resonated um, it was your graduate high school graduation photo. And it was, I think you were wearing a red gown if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. Red man. Yeah. So the red caught my eye. Right. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, that, that backdrop looks really familiar, but I mean, whatever. And then I like look in the location tab and it says North Warren regional high school. It's like, wait a second. So I'm like, who is this guy? And I'm like, I literally graduated from that high school in 2008 that's insane because i mean that is a small blip on the map literally so no i had 94 people in my graduating class you know that's insane i I can't remember mine i think it was like in the hunt it was like in the low 100s or 200s it was not it was not big at all i mean i do what what was your graduating class not to not to throw you out like that but 1991 which was what oh my gosh like 32 years ago yeah so i i was sitting Oh, where was I? I was sitting somewhere just the other day, and I was like, wow, 2008 was how long ago? And I started counting on my fingers. I was like, that's insane. But um, so the the town to grow from 1991 to 2008 probably didn't grow all that much, actually. Like, I, I remember – so for everyone listening, if you haven't listened to my Jersey Boy podcast, uh, we talked about it a little bit. But, like, in the movie, the, the original Friday the 13th, uh, if you look at that movie and where the the town stands right now, it is not too far off. And that movie's what from the early eighties, mid eighties. <laughs> I think was it. Like, I gotta look that up. I think it was like seventy nine, wasn't it, or some crazy? Oh, was it? I, I don't know. I gotta look. I, I think it probably was filmed in like seventy nine. But yeah, I mean, I think it maybe came out in eighty one. But that's where my mind's at, at least. Um, 
but the town has not changed at all. I went up there. I haven't been up there in a long time, but the last time I was up there was probably six years ago. And aside from maybe a Dollar General, everything is the same. Oh yeah, they have a Dollar General now there too. This hey, this people, yeah, this is yeah. big time. This isn't like, you know, you got a Dollar General. <laughs> so I've kind of talked about it. Like my town, our town, growing up was. They, when I was growing up, they brought in a McDonald's and they brought in a oh, Subway. Yeah. Both of these big chains failed in town because the support for the local mom and pop shops was just yeah crazy. It just outweighed it all. So that's the kind of place. So when you get something like a, a Dollar General or right outside of town now, right off the highway is a Dunkin' Donuts. Like those are big mm-hmm. deals. Like there's not going to be a Starbucks anywhere near Blairstown. And you know what's crazy about it is like you're really not that far away from New York City. You no, know what, forty five minutes? All, but an it hour? feels like a different Yeah, it's a different world. world. Yeah, you know, it's you like talk about small world is so I'm I become a custom special agent like what, two thousand two? I'm in San Diego. And it's not a you know, it's a decent sized agency, but you know, San Ysidro, Otay Mesa, pretty big areas. And I'm talking to one of the agents and he ended up getting a scholarship to Blair, to Blair Academy, which was a, you know, Mm -hmm. a private school in the town we grew up in. But like to meet someone that actually got a scholarship that went there, it's just talk about crazy small, such a small amount. Yeah. And, and Blair Academy, I mean, that's a pretty well-known school Mm -hmm. in certain circles. Like it's definitely, it's got, so it's a major preparatory school gets international people all over the world to come in. Uh, some big name basketball players mm-hmm. have gone there, uh, so on and so forth. So the fact that you ran into somebody, I actually met someone through Instagram and the podcast who wrestled, I think not for Blair, but at Blair. Uh, I've met a couple different circles here where I've found people associated with Blair sound. And it just blows my mind. Like how mm-hmm. or before, before I did the cop thing, I was doing music promotion, and when I did that, I uh, came across a guy. We were, we were, I was at a bar of a show I pr- uh, promoted, and I was like, man, you know, I was just talking to this random dude, and I was like, this isn't really my cup of tea, blah, 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 and I was like, I used to see these guys at a, and I just named a bar. He goes, wait, where? And it's somewhere in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God, I used to go there all the time, and then, <laughs> I mean, you know, just crazy needle in a haystack chance of running into people like that. Well, that's the funny thing, too, is we have, um, what do you call it? Adam Schoenfeld, who plays for Tim McGraw and everybody else is from there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's played for Jason that. Aldean, Tim McGraw, Big and Rich. Yeah, he's he's one of the, you know, players down in New Jersey. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, or, or like, I'm trying to think, not too many people have actually come from there, so it's cool that he has, but a lot of people seem to pass through there yeah. or live there. I know the big rumor when I was growing up, like Harrison Ford lived there. Steve Zahn. Yeah. Steve Never Zahn ran into Steve any Zahn. of them, but. Yeah. One of my friends became friends with Steve Zahn. Oh, really? And they used to hang out all the time. I'm like, that's this small world. And I'm right. so like, I grew up in Hope, which is right outside of Blairstown. And I'm sorry, everybody, if we're, t- we're turning this into like, you know, reminiscing about Blairstown. But it's like, <laughs> I met one of the, like a lot of colorists and a lot of people who work for Marvel Comics all lived up by us. So it was like. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got to meet some of them too. It was so cool, man. That's really cool. So I guess we'll we'll take a step off that for a second. Uh, this is really cool, small world. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, my, my guest, as I've introduced, is Dr. Jason Piccolo. Jason, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, I've kind of alluded in my introduction to 
you and your resume because it's very impressive. Just go ahead and give everyone an idea of who you are and where you're from and what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I don't even know about that resume anymore, man. Because like now that I'm a, I'm just I I'm not even gonna say I'm just about to turn fifty. I'm fifty now, man. I'm over fifty. Happy so birthday. I've had thanks, man. So I've had like thirty years of you know post high school to join the army and do a bunch of stuff. So I guess it all adds up into a few paragraphs. Uh, but you know, I was an army guy in the nineties when I got out of the army. I went to college, got a degree in law enforcement, went into the U.S. Border Patrol in two thousand. Then became a special agent down in San Diego working narcotic stuff. I was on, attached to a high-intensity drug trafficking um, task force. And then I got recalled in 0506, did a tour in Iraq as an infantry captain. And then when I got back from there, I worked for, went to work for DOD for a bit. Then I went to work for ICE for a bit. And now I actually work for the Environmental Protection Agency with their okay. Criminal Investigations Division. And I, that's the first time I think I've said that on the news or anywhere. Cause I'm retired. I'm oh, like, you know what? Hey, it's on LinkedIn now. I mean, why not? So yeah, I ended up, I ended up over at EPA just because of some of the stuff I've done in my past as a, a bona fide whistleblower and all sorts of other stuff. So nothing, nothing bad in my past. I just, you know, when, when something's happened, you got to do the right thing. So I ended up moving around in the agencies and now here I am, man. I got a bunch of education in between there, teach college, uh, write books, write articles now, like fun stuff, how to disarm a landmine, how to uh, how to get into CrossFit, how to ruck, how to do all this stuff. And I do a podcast called The Protector's Podcast. So, yeah, man, that's, that's me awesome, in a man. nutshell. You just, you just got, I mean, first off, you got the whole alphabet soup going on. You've got <laughs> all these different interests and insights. And, I mean, you know, you're just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I've seen you uh, post all these videos that you've been on, what, Court TV and have you been on Fox News and all those as well? Yeah, I used to do Fox all the time, man. I think I had like 20-something appearances on like Fox, I-24, News Nation. But I, I tend to stay away from politics now. And, you know, I only speak to the things that I know. And sometimes when you get on those shows, you kind of turn into a soundbite. So I tend to just, you know, do my own thing now. And that's why I do the podcast. And I'm sure that's kind of one of the reasons you have a podcast, too, so you could have your own voice. Right, right. And especially like we were talking about before we recorded, you know, the social media monster that's out there very quick to silence your voice or limit your voice or your reach. I feel like the podcast can feel the exact same way sometimes, but at least at this point, it's long form. And if someone does get a hold of it, they can and they sit down, they can really hear the whole yeah. topic, not just a little soundbite or, you know, whatever I can fit into an Instagram or Twitter post. <laughs> Yeah, if you got like, and that's the that bad things. Like when you promote a podcast, like me, I have to cut it down a minute thirty seconds just so I'm able to get it in there, so people will actually see it and may want to go on to the full episode. So it's a big animal out there, but I think it's going to come around. I think more people are going to figure out which podcasts are worth it. And some people, you could tell. I mean, you're what over a hundred episodes now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, once you get past, I always tell people get past five or six episodes and then keep going. Because a lot of times people hit that like fifth or sixth episode and they quit. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's so many podcasts out there is because so many people quit. So you just got to grind. You got to grind, man. I heard a statistic once that of all the podcasts in the world, the top 1% doesn't get past episode three. <laughs> and of those, of those, the 1% of those don't get past episode 20. So by just getting past those hurdles, yeah. you know, it's already an elite class. And, 
to everyone listening, you, you have my utmost uh, gratitude because the fact that you take some time to listen to the things I have to say is really significant to me. But it gets just to the point of like, I always want to reach more people. I want to keep pushing it, you know? So like when I, I, I'm so bad with this. I get so neurotic over analytics and statistics. So I look at them and I look at them. I'm like, oh, why isn't it growing? It should be growing. Um, and I've gotten, um, this is part of my self growth is like zooming out and just being like, all right, well, it's not dropping. It's just kind of holding steady. And that's, that's just as good some days, you know? Mm -hmm. As long as you keep talking and keep having guests on, and we both know what it's like to have some guests are like pulling teeth and some guests is like a really good conversation. Some guests is fun, but at the end of the day, it has to be entertaining for your audience and educational. You know, your audience wants to hear something. They want to enjoy a conversation or they want to learn something. I really haven't found anything in between. So it's like either like, right. you know, and if you could do both, if you could be entertaining and learn something, you know, then you're that's good, like, that's you know. the magic. Yeah. That's the magic hour right there. Yeah. I always, in my mind, right, when I, whenever I listen to podcasts, I always think it's it's different because if you want to listen to a news show or you want to listen to um, an entertainment show where they're going to interview the guests and it's just canned responses or whatever, that's one thing, right? Like at work, we always have on like Entertainment Tonight and I'm like, this is so boring just because <laughs> there's no personality behind it, right? Uh -huh. But you throw on a podcast and you really get someone's true personality to come out, especially like someone like Joe Rogan that drags it out because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, at the end of that three hours, nothing is hidden, and I like that, right? Because I'm really getting the person's um, true personality. But to me, when I'm driving and I'm listening, or I'm walking, I'm listening. I feel like I'm just like listening in, like an, a fly on the wall of like a personal conversation, and that's yeah. what I really love about podcasts. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like you want to feel like you're part of a conversation, and it to me, it's like company. You know, with everything so virtual right now, and not having a lot of real people interaction. It's kind of nice just to like say, hey, you know what? I'm going to listen to a podcast. And I feel like I'm part of the conversation. Like you are that fly on the wall. Yes, absolutely. And and like I said, that's just the that's the big difference between the news and 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 the podcast. That's to me. That's that's mm -hmm. how I've always seen it. So I think you're absolutely right. How long have you been doing your podcast? I guess we'll start with that. Doc. Well, I started the Protectors Podcast in 2019, and I just hit episode 400. Oh, wow. So okay. was that roughly about, you know, a hundred plus episodes a year. So what is, what is that all about? Oh yeah. I keep forgetting. Like not everybody's listening to protectors. Come on guys. And <laughs> girls. Now, you know, I started off, I wanted to be, I wanted to put the spotlight on like law enforcement, military veterans, emergency responders, and those that support them and kind of like just talk to them, have a conversation and learn from them. But then it's kind of progressed to now everyday people are protectors and you know most of i've had so many authors on too because i love talking about books i feel like every thriller yeah. author you can imagine has been on there <laughs> and episode 400 is with brad taylor and he has okay. a Mike logan series i have a jack carr has been on about five six times mark graney uh pretty much every thriller new york times bestseller has been on but i've had medal of honor holders on there i've had cops you're going to be on there eventually, but you know, we'll, t we'll, mm -hmm. we'll blur out your face. Thanks. So yeah, man, you're going to be like episode four or five. I got to invite you to the show now. Okay. So yeah, man, okay. we've had so many people on there and I just love talking about like really cool things. And it's kind of, it's, it's expanded past the podcast now. Right. And I think that's the thing too, is the sense of community that comes along with a podcast and a podcast listenership where you start 
really building this group of people that have similar ideas, similar interests. And again, you listen to the same thing for several hours over a course of time and you feel like you're part of the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I've listened to other podcasts where they go and like, you know, obviously yours was focused on law enforcement, military, so on. And then it branched out. Uh, I've listened to ones where they were focused on like extreme athletes, right? That was their idea of like, you know, I really want to talk about high performers and stuff. And then they Mm -hmm. start realizing like, Oh, well, yes, those are really important. Those are really interesting conversations, but, Joe Schmo can be a high performer yeah, too. Exactly. You know, and it's just like I feel like the learning process is uh cyclical. Like the host of the podcast yeah. can start learning stuff and the, you know, they kind of adjust their show accordingly as well to where what you listen to in the very beginning of the show is not what you're listening to currently and it, I like that as well. One thing I like about it too is you could you can learn from everyday people. You know, I don't need to some people are really self-promoting. And I've been fortunate enough to kind of keep it away from the self-promotion and just just talk to everyday people who have gone above and beyond and who have gone on and become elite athletes. And it's really cool actually to see some of these people who have won. Like I had, I talked to someone who won the tactical games. Turns out they were a cop and still a cop, still serving cop. And they went on and like just really fit, really crazy. I mean, they're doing their full-time job, but then they're also becoming one of the top athletes out there. And that's what I like about it. Cause sometimes when you, you, when you talk to a top athlete, that's their job. They don't do anything except train. And how are you and I going to be able to relate to that? You know, we both have full-time jobs. We're both podcasters, but can you imagine if you could do this full-time? I mean, this would be like, you know, you could dedicate it. You could become like a, a true professional at it. If not, you're doing like we do. We, we take the, the long-term route of becoming a professional podcaster, but, but you do it. But I love talking to everyday people and I love talking to everyday protectors. Cause I'm like, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, when it comes to service, you know, being a veteran, like me, I was an enlisted guy in the nineties officer later on did a tour, a combat tour. But just because I served at five plus years, you know, if you, if you tack on the reserves came at like some like 13 years or something like that. But just because I served in that type of uniform doesn't mean I have any, uh, I have one, like I'm better than you are. Everybody can serve. Now I know a lot of people who don't serve anybody except themselves, which, Hey, that's their own prerogative. But if you're police, if you're emergency responder, you're firefighter, you're dispatch, you're anybody, you're still serving. But Hey, you know what else? If you're a general person in the public who gives back in some way or the other, you're serving a greater good. So you're a protector. I mean, you protect your family, you protect others. I mean, that's kind of where I think about the protectors now. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a great focus on it is all these things. And I really, I want to just take a quick step back where you said about like relating to everyday people. That's a big thing, right? Cause you got these prolific people, you know, like a Kobe Bryant, uh, Joe Rogan, um, Goggins, like you think of all these big names, right. And, and not to discredit any of them, right. But they are great at what they do because that's what they do. That's yeah. all they do. That's all they spend their time, money, and effort on. And that's great. And it's it's good to have people th- that we can focus on with that, right? But you look at someone like you and me or people that I've, I've had on my show and you know that – or on your show and you know that they have a Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 or whatever version of that may be and – they have their family and everything, and it's just real, genuine people, real, mm-hmm. you know, cogs in the machine, moving it along, and it's 
to me, that's just a little bit more inspiring to know that they're doing all these amazing things and the mundane things that I'm doing too. And I can relate to it. And it's, it's really yeah. very inspiring. You know? When you say the mundane things, it's the truth. There's so much that goes on beyond the scenes of anything. Anybody who's not doing this is like their job. Most podcasts and you know, this isn't a woe is me for podcasters, but this is such a reality. If you want to start a podcast, you really have to think about this is going to be you. Not all of us can afford editors and producers and bookers and everything else. It's a one man show. And most of it, you know, 400 episodes in and I've had help maybe once or twice, not including co-hosts, man, I love having co-hosts, but yeah, it's a one man show, man. So, I mean, that also equates into, you know, doing other things. I mean, if my whole job was to be like, you know, SWAT operator number one. I mean, I could lift and shoot all day long and learn and go to training, but it's not. So we we juggle things, and that's one thing you can learn with this is to multitask and to have to keep multitasking because now I have to multitask everything. I mean, right before we jumped on today, I'm uploading podcasts. I mean, it's you have to do a lot of different things. Right. So many people message me and they they try to figure out like how do you how do you fit all this in your life? And I'm like. Very carefully. Like, I don't, I don't really know if, if I do very well. I, you know, because when you focus too much on one thing, another thing falls down. Um, but you know, I'm always, you know, editing an episode or publishing an episode or writing for an episode. Mm -hmm. And then um, that's, that's that level. And then I've got, you know, work, I've got school, I've got family life and they're all kind of interchanging and it's, it gets stressful. It really does because it's like, oh, again, you focus too much on one thing. You think other things are suffering and they probably are. And it's like, oh, man, you know, I, I know that I've really dedicated a lot of time to the podcast this week. Well, now my family life is not as glamorous as it should be and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. How do and, and you've had many different aspects of this career to now be podcasting and so on. How do you find the balance? How do you how are you able to balance things between things you want to do and things you uh, need to do. You know, the thing is I kind of, one thing I didn't have when I got out of the army in the nineties was a plan. You know, I kind of thought I'd go into the border patrol. I had no idea I was going to go to college, but I had no plan and they don't really teach you how to get out of the army. But now that I've been fixed on retiring for a long time now, retiring at the end of February. And I've been thinking about that for a while. So I've been planning and planning and planning, but I still have that weird hesitation. Like, oh man, what am I going to do when I grow up? But it's like, the big thing is to just kind of have a different out, you know, have a lot of outs, you know, have, I don't put in for just one job. I put in for multiple jobs. I put in, I have multiple streams of income that I'm working on as in like writing, as in podcasting, as in this, as in that, but don't just focus and get tunnel vision on one central aspect and when i do things I, I do spend a lot of time with my family my social media i don't put anything about my family on there because i'm not a big you know i don't they didn't buy into the protectors or or piccolo you know social media they they brought in me being dad so like i have a laptop and i have like a little laptop desk so when i'm watching some crappy show with my kids and but i'm, I'm paying attention to the show but i'm also writing at the same time Mm -hmm. And one of my outlets and one is just try to be creative. You don't have to be a pro at everything. Not everybody's like, you know, I saw that analogy today about, you know, that the stone person who's like, you see him hitting the last stroke and cracking his big cinder block in half or this big, huge rock in half. And someone goes, well, how did you get so strong? How did you do that? I'm like, well, you know, you didn't see 
the 2000 hammers before that where I was hitting on this big rock. So that's what I do. I practice and practice and practice and practice. And, you know, that and but it's not just all about job. It's about having fun, too. And I love, uh, you know, one thing I've probably seen me do in the past like years, six months is competitive shoot. I mean, I've been shooting for work and qualifying for qualifying for damn near 30 years now with the military and law enforcement. But now I took it to the next level and said, hey, you know what? Why not? Why not compete? And why not get training? So I've been starting to do stuff like that as well. Yeah, and that's that's great. Um, I feel like when when I was just listening to a podcast and Jocko was on it, and I have I like Jocko for what he stands for and the discipline and all that stuff. But I I, I feel like again we see very one dimensional of Jocko, and I'm always like, well, what's his home life like, right? But I I think you're right. Like having the um, the outlet, the creative, and the entertaining, and you know just stuff you enjoy doing is so important, and finding the podcast and and even Instagram facilitated that creativeness for me. I've always been creative doing music and theater and things like that. And when I became a cop, I lost all that. I didn't have that outlet, you know? And when I got into podcasting, I was like, Oh, this is perfect. It's stuff for me to create, put out there that fills that need. Um, but you're right. You know, the, one of the most terrifying questions I was asked in law enforcement is, by my FTO first day. So what do you like to do for fun? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I've been focused on this for so long. I don't uh -huh. know what I enjoy doing anymore. And it's great that you found something that, you know, something that was so pivotal to your career and you found joy in it. And now you do that for fun. And I feel like a lot of people, especially now with the BJJ movement going on, yep. working out, like people are starting to transition that stuff into their personal life, into things that they enjoy, um, which I think is very important, you know? Well, that's the thing too, is you have to, don't wait till you're like me, who's 49 years old when he starts to do it, you know, and you can do it when you're 49. There's no problem at all with that, but why not try it when you're younger? I mean, why not try this stuff when like you're younger in your career? You know, it doesn't have to be a pain. It, you know, it can be a really fun thing to do is like the shoot outside of qualifying or, or to have fun there's there's plenty of things to do out there that are fun and that kind of brings me up to like you know i went to a i know you know i haven't told you this yet so i went to a i, I went to a training uh to learn basic pistol training with one of my buddies a guy named rick hogg he's a former delta special missions unit and all sorts of good stuff in the military and while i'm there i met a bunch of cops like that were there paying their own way to get training and i'm thinking to myself wow i mean I'm very spoiled coming from the fed world. Very, very spoiled. Cause whenever I want training or anything, it's there. And whenever I want ammo, it's there, this and that. But there's a lot of police departments and a lot of like protectors out there that have to pay their own way. They don't have the money to do it. So I got back from that and I started thinking to myself, I'm like, this is about four or five weeks ago. I'm like, I, so I started Googling, I did looking up charity navigator, looking for different organizations and you know, just as well as I do that there are so many nonprofits out there where a lot of it's like Kumbaya, they're, they're spreading awareness and there's nothing against that. Hey, you know what? If that's what you want to raise money for all power to you. But what I'm doing now is I'm actually starting, I actually applied, applying for the 501c now, the, for the protectors foundation. And I think this is the first time I actually talked about it on air. I talked to my friends and stuff about it, and I'm building the board and everything now. But what I'm doing is I'm starting a foundation, and it's going to be for police, 
um, fire, emergency responders, and dispatchers. And it's, I'm going to steer clear of the military community because there's so many of them out there. Because what I want to do is I want to get real training. So if I find um, agency XYZ out in the middle of nowhere has 13, 14 people in their department, but they don't have any budget to train, they don't have any ammo to train, and all they're doing is their quarterly or yearly qualification. Well, I want to bring in someone like a Rick Hogg. I want to bring in someone who's a vetted trainer and train them. And I want to get corporate sponsorship to do it. My goal is to, to start the foundation, but to raise the money from corporations, raise the money from the manufacturers, raise the money from outside of asking people for $5 a month. That's my goal. And But I'm not just focusing on police. You know, you know about the dispatch world, the stress, the PTSD you get from stress from the dispatch world, from hearing it, from seeing it, from have that, that sense of, oh, my gosh, what happens next? Did I do everything I could? That that sense of dread. Well, what I want to do is like someone gets a hold of us and we we know which way to point them. We know where to get them mental health help. We know where to get the funding for them. We know where to get them training and learning this. I don't want to just be sending T-shirts to people in blankets. I want to be able to say, okay, if there's a fire department that wants to learn like a special technique or they need – and later on, maybe if they need a piece of equipment – we could raise the money for that. I'm not going to get too spread out. It's going to be really focused in the beginning of just trying to find the right organizations, right agencies to get this this training to and this stuff. But as it builds, I want to see where it goes. But I don't want to just focus on raising awareness. We, we already know that 22 veterans kill themselves a day. We know that cops are killing themselves every day. Do we know how many firefighters and dispatchers are killing themselves every day? We never think about that. All these other service industries that people are just, you know, day in and day out committing suicide. I, I, I can't get into that realm. I, I can't raise enough awareness for that. And I don't want to feel powerless. I want to feel like I have something that I could do, something that I could tangibly say, okay, I could do this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's an amazing goal. It's an amazing thing that you're starting. I feel like – I feel – I want to say it was – as the year was changing, so right around the new year, um, some posts came out. I don't remember where the where the source was, but it showed the estimated numbers of law, of law enforcement, fire, dispatch, and I want to say there was another uh, public service agency or discipline suicides. Or well, it had their line of duty deaths, and then it had suicides, right? I, maybe corrections. And I was like. I posted and I was like, those are the ones that are reported. Reported. But how many are not reported, underreported, misreported? So many, you know, that I know of specifically, I've, I know of law enforcement suicides that were not reported. I went to Blue Help and I looked and it wasn't even there. It wasn't even on the list, right? So I said, these numbers are great to kind of like pique your interest, mm -hmm. but it's underreported. That's just the nature of the beast, either because the law enforcement agency is not going to claim it. Because the family's not going to claim it, or they're going to misrepresent it as a you know accident or whatever it might be, and that's important to keep in your mind as well. So the fact that mm -hmm. you're going to give these agencies that may not have a chance options and resources and um, whatever tools they may need is amazing. Because I was thinking about it as you were saying it, like we harp a lot on agencies not getting their guys or girls the training that they yep. need, right? 
But what if they can't, right? We're living yeah. in a world of underfunding public safety mm-hmm. agencies. And a lot of the money that we do have is going through, going over to recruitment because we're so yeah. understaffed. And it's almost like how dare we blame the agency specifically for not having the ability. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just don't have the ability. A yeah. random town in North Dakota is not going to have the ability to send someone to police week or to, you know, some amazing training festival that may be going on. So to have that ability, right, is such a amazing concept where, you know, I just think of all these little tiny hamlets and, and towns and all these places that, you know, th- even every agency I've worked for has had at least 100 people in it. But there are so many agencies out there that, you know, we're talking Mayberry, yeah. two officers, and that's mm-hmm. it, you know, and the officer is also the dispatcher and the dispatcher yeah. is also the fire chief, you know, and it's. It's important to think about because those are the reality to a lot of people. And, you know, I listen, I look at some of my analytics and I'm like, oh, wow, someone's listening to me from Utah, some small little yeah. middle of nowhere, Utah. Right. And they don't understand this big city life and not even big city, but that we talk about on here sometimes. So to think about it in that perspective is really interesting. Like I never even put it in that that light. Well, it took me to go to training to get away from my little my shell. You know, I. And I, you know, there's got to be something to do and there's got to be, you know, I always say like, I'm a big proponent of this. There's the military industrial complex is a trillion dollars, trillion, trillion dollar business. Maybe they should help out with this mental health. Maybe they should help solve the issues rather than, you know, and I love, I love nonprofits that are trying to get in at it, but maybe start hitting up these corporate donors. You know, because you think about who is directly in, impacted by things like that, those issues, and you think about it like the corporate interests are directly, you know, they're they're part of the people, they're part of the general mm-hmm. population, so they are directly impacted. And if you get corporate entities that are already working with police and law enforcement agencies, and you start saying, "Hey, you know, really appreciate you." Sign in this, you know, major contract. So that way we only mm-hmm. carry your blank. Yeah. But how about on the back end, you assist us in keeping these cops or these dispatchers, firefighters alive. Yeah. And I feel like that's really hitting them on another lane, uh-huh. another angle that probably hasn't been. And they don't need a guilt trip. Just tell them, hey, here's a deal. You know what? If you help this company, it's going to be good. For one, it's going to be a tax write off. And for two, it's going to be good PR for you. So they're getting something out of it. And that's one thing about donorship is a lot of people don't understand is like the reason I'm starting a nonprofit 501c3 is because when I pitch to these corporate uh, people, I could be like, hey, look, if you do this, you're going to get a tax break. You're going to get something to write off and you're going to get a positive media message. And one thing about, you know, being a nonprofit is you have to stay nonpolitical. So I'm going to stay out of it. I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll maybe in my own personal time I'll talk something here and there. But you know, when it comes to a nonprofit, it's going to be strictly to business. Let's get these people, guys and girls, training that they need, and let's get it done. Right. And I think you're right. You see it from the corporate point of view, where they're like, hey, you know, we need something out of it too. So you got that nonprofit angle. You've got the tax write-off angle. And yeah, definitely don't want to guilt trip them because that'll never work. Um, <laughs> I can I can make a joke, but I, I'll I'll just <laughs> step aside that one. Um, but no, I think that's absolutely great, and 
as we start to push first responder mental health a lot more, um, you're going to start seeing, I think, out of sheer necessity almost, um, more people starting to chip in. And I think it's what we have done for 22 a day for the military um, for the military world needs to start being focused on the local world as well, because mm -hmm. these are, you know, the people in your neighborhood, right? These yeah. are the people that live and buy and live and die. And, you know, they need just as much help and it's just a different version of the beast, but it's the mm -hmm. same beast. Yeah. I, I, it amazes me like the suicide. I don't know if it's because we have social media, but seeing it so much now mm -hmm. i mean how many people in our town have killed themselves how many people do we know that have killed themselves that aren't in law enforcement or and just in general the suicide it's like unbelievable right and i think we're getting more comfortable as a society talking about it which is a good start right that's mm -hmm. raising awareness now we need to start talking about where do we go from here yeah and um I think a lot of people, when they start turning that page, that's where they get uncomfortable. They're like, all right, like, yeah, no, we definitely need to, to fix this. We need to, we need to work on it, but somebody else, like not, not me. I don't want to touch this one. It's too dangerous. And it, I mean, I've taken a lot of classes over the past year about mental health and crisis and even took a suicide prevention class, which again, that's a, that's a tough one, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, if you're the one that someone like, you know, they, they pull your number like, hey, you're the one I'm talking to about this. That is a bit like, hey, you know, I want to make sure I got this right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in your world. I don't know. It's it, it's definitely a big pill to swallow. Not bitter, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I appreciate people message me a lot, especially ones that I've built relationships with over this, the time that I've had the Instagram. And they say, hey, you know, I'm having a rough day. I'm like, all right, what you got? Like, let's, let's wrap. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's great. Right. But it, when someone is in a true crisis, then it's like, all right, let me, yeah. I used to just defer, be like, Hey, you know, professionals, I, you know, I, I, I do not feel comfortable with this conversation, you know, in a polite way. Yeah. But now it's like, especially in, in my, in my day to day life, you know, things that I need to get better at. So as a whole, right. Not everyone's going to be able to do that, but also at the whole, like as a first responder, you kind of are, you're, yeah. you're signing up for that. Cause you may get that call where you're going to the suicidal guy and now you're suddenly their counselor. So go. I got it. Yeah. It's one good thing about being a fed is not having, you know, 99.9% .9 of feds don't have to deal with that kind of stuff. Right. And, but it's not like I don't want to, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you would follow my social media. Yeah, you do. Uh, but I don't yeah, know, if we, I do. you know, the, uh, <laughs> the metropolitan police department, you see what I did there? I, no, um, I don't think I saw. I want to keep in order for me to like you know, they feel like I'm giving back. You know, not just a nonprofit or anything. I actually went and took the uh, the Metropolitan Police Department for the DC Police Department. I took their uh, reserve officers training, not the training, but the uh, oh yes, the prospect day. So I went down and and when you become a reserve cop in DC, it's like a fully armed everything. I have to go to like a if I do pass all the all the uh, training and everything, and then I'll become a reserve cop in DC, which is uh, an interesting city to be a reserve cop in. Cause it's, sure. it can be fairly dangerous. But when I went there, I think I was the only reserve cop, only one going there for the reserves in the prospect day. And I'm, you know, I was 
did I turn 50 yet? No, I was 49. I was just about to turn 50. I mean, it was only about a month ago, a month and a half ago. So I go and I'm like, I'm there with about 30 or 40 other people. And it's young kids, you know, young, young people in their 20s, maybe somewhere in their 30s, but most were in their 20s. You know, a couple of white kids from Wisconsin were there and just sitting back and listening to people talk about getting into law enforcement, becoming a cop. It kind of really re-energized me, man. It really did. And I, I kept listening to them and I'm like, wow, they're, you know, one of them was asking me about what I did for a living. And they're like, really? You're a special agent? I'm like, yeah, because I've been doing it for so long. It, it kind of like, you know, the whole badge and gun thing was just kind of, it's not a big deal to me anymore. But listening to them getting into it and having that feeling and being really excited, it reminds me like that the job isn't dead. You know, you hear the, mm. the disgruntle all the time. The job is not dead. Well, you know, just don't treat it as in like your career anymore. Treat it as like go three or four or five years at a time, then go from there. But I tell you what, yeah. that, that process was pretty damn intense. I shouldn't say intense, yeah. in depth. Let me say in depth. You know, because you go in there, you do, and everything is down. It's expedited hiring now, I tell you, compared to, I found my old resume. I think I handwritten back in the 90s. Crazy. (laughs) And so you go in there and you do the whole, you know, you go in there, scan your documents, do this, do that and everything. But then you take like a computerized test. I think it took like two and a half hours, like Mm -hmm. scenarios and videos and scenarios and videos. And I'm like, wow this is crazy. You got to write reports. You got to act like you're doing interviews in a video. And then I had to take a PT test and I'm, <laughs> you know, it's been, you know, I, I thank God I still work out and stuff, but I had to like, you know, do a shuttle run or run up and down some stairs, uh, drag a dummy. And then I had to jump a, like a six foot fence and I'm, then you had to pull back, you have to identify a suspect and then you have to pull back the slide on the Glock. I'm like, this is cool, man. It's like so <laughs> right. neat to be back in it. And- yeah, when I did um when I took the hiring process to where I am now before I made the switch, you know, it's been 6 or 7 years since I ran a PAT test and um again, you know, I was I was sitting there obviously not with the same level of experience, but some experience as you or not not same as you but experience compared to the guys that were already there and listening to the brand new guys, right? The fresh faces right out of the academy mm-hmm. or about to go to the academy and just going like this is such a different world. Like, you know, our minds are so different and not that it's a bad thing at all. It's just crazy. And when you see, and, and on Instagram, I meet them a lot. These new guys, like there's a, there's a guy I talked to on here, built a, built a very good friendship with him. Messaged me when he was still wanting to be a cop, wanting to go to the Academy. He was just working at Walmart and he was just so excited about all of it. Right. And then he got into the Academy and then he got hired and now he was in FTO. Now he passed FTO and the excitement in his voice this mm-hmm. whole time. And you know, it really makes you realize that no, we're just salty assholes. The job yeah. is still there. Right. And people yeah. still want to do it. And what we need to do instead of just berating about oh the job sucks, blah, 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 blah encouraging people like hey it's not that bad right every line of work it doesn't matter where it is is going to have struggle it's going to have grief going to have people bitching about it but there's a lot of good there as well and as long as you know that the negatives can be there and know how to balance those Mm -hmm. right and i think that's the problem is that we just kind of ignore the the negatives and then when they hit you they hit you hard and you fall on your ass and then you're like i want out 
But if we can kind of readdress the narrative and be like, hey, this is the negative stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff. Let's teach you how to balance both of them. Mm -hmm. Then that's how we really work on recruitment and retention. It's not about fancy new cars and clean uniforms and tack vests and having a cool patch on your arm. None of those things matter. Even even significant pay doesn't really matter. It's nice, but it doesn't really matter. What really matters is how you feel and, you know limiting or or stopping that burnout in the beginning and kind of really something that I've talked about a lot, pushing the narrative that it is a marathon, not a sprint. Cause so many guys get out of the Academy and they are going, they are sprinting their whole way. They get five, six years in and they go, Oh my God, I'm, I'm out. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want anything else. I've noticed the trend is five and 10. Like those are the years when people burn out and they're done. And I, I liked what you said about let's treat it like three to five years at a time. I had a guest on last year who suggested, what if we did tours in law enforcement like they do in the military, yeah. where you sign on for a three to five year contract, you go do it. And then if you want to re, re-up, cool, go back. And if you don't, hey, no problem. Here's your check. Have a nice day. That wouldn't be a terrible idea. But since we don't have that right now, and that's way above my pay grade, let's work on our mentality going, all right, let me get past this three years. Let me do. Are treat it like, you hey, bring- you know what? The corporate world's seeing this now. And, you know, the agencies are seeing it too, like the CIA. Is they're seeing a lot of people that'll come in, they'll do their seven or eight years, then they'll get out, work, move on to the corporate world because they have that experience. But look at it this mm-hmm. way too. It's like, maybe they, don't, maybe they don't even need to sign a contract. Just say, hey, look, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do my four or five years and I'm going to, I'm going to treat it like I service, you know, treat it like actual service. Mm-hmm. You know, you do your three or four or five years in the military, you get out, you're a veteran, you know, three or four or five years in a police, you did your time, you served still the same type of service. That's the way I look at it. Me too, yeah. And then move on. But I kind of like, you know, you brought up something that kind of made me think. You know, maybe have like a, a partial five year retirement. So you go in here, you do five years, you get like five percent. And then you move on to a state agency. And let's say like let's say you go to Florida, right? Let's say, you know, you become a Florida cop, you do five years there, you and then you move on to dispatch. So you move on to any any other state job, any other state job, but because you did five years on the street. You can now retire at the same age as law enforcement, because it's almost like you know if you join like a like a uh, like me law enforcement, I can retire at fifty because I did my t- uh, twenty plus years. I have I'll have twenty three years, and I'm fifty. Or you could do twenty five years and retire before you're fifty. So you know you have the same type of retirement. Saying hey, you know what, you go and you do five years. Have to have a minimum. So let's say you do five years as a cop and then you can go to any state agency and you can get vested in her retirement or you can go to any local agency. Let's say you're a big city or something like that. It's one way to look at it too. So, Hey, you know what? I do my tour and then I I move on. I'm not losing retirement because some people get into it because they want a career and they want that retirement at the end of that, at that end of that career. Right. And and what, you know, what transpires over that time and it's, it, it can be, it can be very daunting and challenging to get to that end. So, you know, for me, where I was as a cop, I was year six and a half uh, out of 25. And literally, as I was walking out the door, they changed it to 20, right? So I was 
15 years left or 14 and a half years left. And I went to another agency, but the way Florida's retirement system is, so that was a local pension. That was a city pension. And then I ended up signing up for, um, FRS, Florida retirement system, which is 30 years. So I literally went from 14 and a half years left to day one of 30 years. And that's a big thing, right? That's like massive. That's when you're, you know, already in your thirties, you're going, I don't get to retire till I'm 60. That's, you know, that, that's a very tough hill to climb, especially when you have to start all the way over again, again, personal decision. So I can't blame anyone but myself, but to go with what you're saying, if you make it so it's all continuous, right? So no matter where you go, if you stay local or you stay in the state or whichever, and they all kind of transpire. And even if, like you said, I don't want to, I don't want to do the cop thing anymore. I want to go fire dispatch EMS that it all connects. So that way, let's say you do burn out on being a cop, but you still want to serve. You still want to be part of an, of an agency. Then let's go ahead and go to dispatch, right? Or let's go be a bailiff. Let's go do this. And that way, as, as we're protecting our protectors, right? Uh, they still get something out of it. The agency still gets something out of it. The community still gets something out of it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a complete win. And I feel like as we start seeing these mental health issues that we were talking about before and also physical issues and things that come along with the, the, the pains of the job, I feel like we're going to start seeing a transition into something like that. Hopefully, hopefully we don't, you know, just keep it the way it's always been, but hopefully we start transitioning to something that everyone gets a little bit out of it. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is like maybe you don't get into any type of – so you're vested in a retirement system, but maybe you don't even have to go into like dispatch or, or anything in the emergency services area, the realm. And you become like a, a groundskeeper. You can become like an accountant. You become a bookkeeper. You can become any state job. You know, Virginia has professor jobs that are part of the state. You know what I mean? There are so many thousands of state jobs out there. You know, there's got to be another way around of the recruiting thing rather than just getting bodies out there saying, hey, you know what? You join us. You do five years, you know, get a hold of these state legislators and say, hey, look, let's do something. We're losing good people. And not everybody wants 20 years on the job. Right. Absolutely. Or, you know, things happen. What if you get hurt on on duty? Mm -hmm. You can no longer be a cop. Well, we're just going to medically retire you out. Hold on a second. What if we repurpose me to something else? And I was just thinking as you said that about the professor thing. So all, well, I don't want to say all, but so many of the police academies in Florida are attached to state colleges. So by that logic, why don't we take that and go, Hey, go work at the state college, be an adjunct professor for the police Academy. And there you go. And I know, cause I've looked into it and you still need a bachelor's or a master's or whatever, but why do I need a bachelor's in something that I've already worked 10 years doing, you know, and Mm -hmm. didn't require, a college degree that should count for something, right? Like yeah. the stripes on my arm or the, you know, bars and, and chest candy I got, that's got to count for something. Right. Um, or like you said, or just working as a groundskeeper or working as a records clerk or whatever, you know, it really doesn't matter what it is, but to have those options, I think that's very outside the box thinking. And, and I, I'd vote for you. If that was your platform, I'd hey, vote for you. Um, you know, one thing, <laughs> I, you know, for a long time, I kind of kicked around about running for office and I'm like, there's no way you could pay me to do it anymore. As much as I'd love to like continue to give back, I'm like, I'll give back some other way. There's just, uh, you know, the, the slinging of dirt and, and everything mm-hmm. that goes along with it. But I still have the power of pen and gab. So, I mean, why not? That's one way to look at it. Yeah. I've, uh, 
way again way back when I when I was just starting out as a cop, I I liked politics. I do like politics. There's pol- political books on my bookshelf right now, right? And I've always found it interesting, but it's gotten so ridiculous over the past six, eight years that it's like, you know what? I no, no, I don't. Because it's not legitimate political science anymore. It's just complete nonsense. It's It's about the grift. You know, so many people, how many, you know, if you think about all the legislators out there and you've only, you only see about 10 of them on TV all the time. It's like a grift. It's like, there's so many people are in it for the grift to try to get the power and try to get the name and, you know, get their, sell a book or get stocks or whatever. It just became like a big grift. That's why whenever I see anybody running for office nowadays, I'm like, Hmm, are they legitimately want to do this for service or do they legitimately want to do a few terms and then become like a pundit? Right. Right. And you're, yeah. I mean, there's so many of them that, that get spun around like that. And of all the people in the house of representatives, cause that's just a huge number, right? How many do you actually hear from? How many actually yeah. do anything? And you know, it's just, I think of, you know, one of my favorite shows is the West wing. And I think of like in that show, there's so many small characters, right? And then out of nowhere, season three comes around and that's a major character. Why? Mm-hmm. Cause he's got something to get out of it. Right. Obviously for the point of TV, but that's kind of how it is in politics, at least from where I'm sitting. It's like, Oh, we, we heard this name four years ago. Now suddenly they're, they've, they're saying something. Why? Mm-hmm. Oh, cause reelection's coming around. Oh, yep. because they're trying to advance their career or trying to push a book or whatever it might be. And it's like, okay, there's no, there's no genuine, or there's no genuine desire there. It's all personal gain, or at least that's, that's what it's looking like. Oh man, we, we could solve the world hunger after this. I'm saying, absolutely. We're gonna get, so what, let's recap. We're going to get training for law enforcement, emergency responders, protectors. And one, one thing I want to throw in there too is cultural geography. And this is going to throw some people off. Okay. So I'm sitting there in that room and you got a couple of white kids from Wisconsin. No, no, no discounting them. But, you know, I went to college in Minnesota it's, and I grew up, look where we grew up. It's not very mm-hmm. culturally diverse. And you take someone like me and you put them on a Southwest border on a border patrol. I don't know mannerisms. I don't know how to, you know, speaking with different type of people with different languages and stuff. So let's get some training for people like whether or not it's just meeting with community members that you're going to be talking in there. Not like a kumbaya type training, but let's get some different type of training, like international training or are things that would help mm-hmm. bridge that divide, you know, just different things. I mean, you have to think outside the box. And that's one thing I'd like to do with this foundation is think outside the box. Right. And you, you, you're absolutely right. Where we, for everyone listening, where we grew up was plain Jane, no diversity whatsoever. When I moved to Florida, blew my mind when actually before that, when I went to Connecticut for college, that blew my mind a little bit, but coming down to Florida was completely different. And my first police job was in the inner city. So I had, you know, I was talking to everybody, like they grew up in Blairstown and it wasn't that way, you know, and, and the people I was interacting with obviously uh, responded as such. So you're right to have that kind of cultural awareness training. And again, not like a, let's sit around and talk about it. No, like let's, mm-hmm. let's be real. Let's talk about like what's good in your culture. What's not, what's acceptable, what's not. And I think, I think you, you want to talk about integration and diversity and things like that. Like that's how you really break some barriers. Right uh huh. Yeah, man, there's just so much to do. It's like, 
don't wait. Don't be like me and wait till you're like 50 to start doing things like that. I mean, I, I started doing things about five, six years ago. I mean, my social media presence before the podcast and before everything was like very minimal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just getting out there and doing things, do it anytime. You know, don't wait. Yeah. It, and something that I've noticed over the last little bit, we'll talk six months now interacting with people who have similar ideas, but different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's really starting to get interesting. I found this page just for an example. It was a, like the service industry, like chefs and cooks and, and, and waitress, waitresses and wait, but their mental health. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm reading their posts and I'm like, wow, this all transcends and corresponds with law enforcement mental health, like to a T right. You change a few of the nouns, few of the adjectives is the exact same thing. And I've messaged them in the past or recently, and I go, "This is insane! How it's one for one." Yeah. And so you take that right. So that's that's just a mental health aspect. But you take that to any other aspect in the world, and you're going to have a similar response and similar engagement. And so you start doing that. It's it, it would be amazing to see what where that all goes. Hmm. There's just so much that you can do out there, and so much that it's like, let's just do it. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, when you're talking about social media, you have the access to the world at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. So you might as well take advantage of it. I mean, you can scroll and look at dog videos all day long. And I do that too. Don't get me wrong. I, I oh, love believe me. <laughs> believe me. I do too, man. But, you know, when you, when you really want to sit down and, and you start thinking existential or you start thinking big picture, it's like, all right, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You can do so much on this device. So, so I, I really like where this conversation has gone. Jason, I've got a few more questions I'm going to wrap up with, and then we will uh, we'll hit the dusty highway. Sounds good, brother. All right, here we go. These are just 10 questions that I have pre-written. I'd like to get all my guests' insight on them, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. <clears throat> so the first one is, what's the best book that you've read recently? Oh, geez. That would be Toby Harden's First Casualty. Okay. It's about the and 9-11. About? It's about the, 9/11, the first team in, post-9-11 CIA team in. Okay. What is something that you do to ground yourself? Podcast. Absolutely. Podcast. When I listen to different people's stories and let them talk, I, it's very grounding, especially listening to so many stories. You're like, wow, I've I've had a really blessed life. Yeah, definitely. What is something that you do for self-care? Uh, gym every day. Well, six days a week. Yeah, then a lot of different things like walk in and stuff like that. Would you open an envelope with your death date written inside? No. Okay. Why? The anticipation would kill me. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Uh, would you be friends with yourself? Yeah. What do you want from other people? Uh, just compassion for others. Have them be compassion for other pe- compassionate for other people. What sort of impact are you looking to make and how do you make it? Uh, I just want a legacy for my kids. And how I make it is by, you know, podcasting, writing, and just trying to do the right thing. How do you define the word friendship? If... I don't have to ask you to do something and you do it because you're my friend. That's a friend. How do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? Happy are my kids and just seeing the smile on their face and seeing them learn and experience things that I've experienced and see how they experience it. It's a very, makes me really happy. Okay. And the last question I got for you today, what do you think is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to crush my enemies and see them driven before. No, I'm just kidding. It's from Conan. <laughs> <laughs> for all the for all the old people out there from the night mm-hmm. Conan with Conan and Barbie. Now, 
the meaning of life is to live it. You only get one of them. Nice. Dr. Jason Piccolo, this was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time and insight. If people want to get in contact with you, if they want to see what you're up to, what your next moves are going to be, how do they do it? Uh, first, head over to the Protectors podcast. There's two of them, but mine's the only real Protectors podcast. That's a whole story for another day. <laughs> That's why I am now a registered, trademarked uh, podcast. And also at Instagram, it's at Dr. Jason Piccolo, and then uh, jasonpiccolo.us, and pretty much just Google my name. You'll find me. Perfect. All right, man. I appreciate your time, appreciate your insight, and we will talk soon. There you have it, folks. I don't really have much more to add this week. I think uh, Jason and I kind of covered everything that I wanted to talk about. So I will go ahead and uh, leave you with this. Go check out Jason's podcast, The Protectors. Everywhere you can find my podcast, just type in your search bar, The Protectors. He just released an episode today in which I come on and give my two cents on a bunch of different topics, very similar to the topics we covered, but also a little bit more, and my my spin on it. Also, if you haven't seen recently, I was actually on a bunch of other great podcasts. We had uh, Inside the Lab podcast with the guys from Reps for Responders and also the Things We All Carry podcast Um I did those last week, so they're out there too. Check out um, my Instagram and um, their their pages as well. Also, on Monday, I will be on my own podcast. <laughs> as many of you may or should know, I produce the Punk Rock Cops podcast also on this channel, but it's a departure from any kind of episodes that we do here on the 10-8 podcast, and it's where the host of that show talk about how punk rock and different variations of it and the bands and the culture and everything influenced their life and their career path towards law enforcement. Well, on this coming Monday, I do a special guest appearance as Robin and I talk about the music of my teenage years. Shit, I still listen to it to this day. Ska music. It's It was a good good episode, about two hours worth of us just talking and, and talking about different bands we loved and, and have seen and everything. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited how it turned out, and I'm super excited for you guys to take a listen to it. So go ahead and check that out. Also next week on Thursday, we have another vet, cop, author, and podcaster on the show. Uh, Benny, what, what's going on here? Do they just let anybody do this shit? Anybody can write a book? Anyone can have a podcast? Oh, they do let anyone do it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be. Uh, anyway, Dexter Pitts is on the show, and we are going to talk a lot about a lot of good topics. You are not going to want to miss it. Dexter Pitts has become one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, he was on the Black Cop episode last year. He was on uh, Drunk Cops, the, uh, the New Year's Eve party. Great dude, funny as hell, and a lot of great insight as well. We also have fresh merch in the merch store, new shirt, new stickers, and even more to come. So go check that out, 10-8-memes.ecwid.com, equid.com. And um, you're definitely going to want to check that out. And as always, tell everyone you know about the show. Rate, review, and subscribe where you can. And continue to follow 10-8-memes on Instagram as we continue to grow as well. That's it for today, folks. Until next time, take care of each other. Stay safe. 10-8, out. Thank you.